Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and this week I'm bringing in Bonnie Thompson to talk about anatomy. I've had a number of high-profile guests on this podcast, from Joe Muscolino to Ruth Werner, and one of the elements that is repeatedly stressed is knowing your anatomy. So I tracked down Bonnie, who is not only a body worker, but she runs the Institute for Anatomical Research in Colorado. Bonnie has been a respected author, professor, and licensed massage therapist for more than 30 years. And she has devoted her life to exploring and teaching the intricacies of the human body. And she's a graduate of the Colorado Institute of Massage Therapy. And Bonnie first opened her neuromuscular practice back in 1987. Now, her institute is known around the country because they run anatomy classes where you actually get to work with cadavers. I have never had the experience of getting to work with a cadaver, but everyone who I have talked to that has tells me there is nothing like it. And I don't want to spoil too much of my conversation with Bonnie, but I will say that I know there's a difference when you learn something in theory or in a book versus when you actually get to put your hands on it. Now, as most of my listeners are massage therapists, I'm guessing you agree with me on that. Well, I hope you enjoy this episode we have for you. I give you my conversation with Bonnie Thompson. All right, Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to have this conversation because this is my first time talking to someone who actually runs uh, an anatomical research clinic. And I think it's, you know, obviously anatomy and physiology is a really important piece around massage therapy and important part of our education. But, um, you know, obviously people are doing some really interesting things in the field, including yourself. We've started this nonprofit called the Institute for Anatomical Research. So I'm curious, what inspired you to open up a clinic to educate people about anatomy? Well, um, a number of different things kind of conspired to get me where I am today. Um, one of them years ago was my great aunt who I was helping um, get bathed and I would rub lotion on her and then she's like, you should do this for a living. And so that part of my life transpired. I became a massage therapist and um, in that I realized what a unique position we are in to be able to help people. And I mean, really help people, not just um, here's a pill or here's a stretch, but we could actually really start making changes. And then um, several years ago, my mom started declining. She had Alzheimer's and I moved her into a assisted living facility and then a memory care. And just sitting around there watching everybody, I realized in the United States, we have the ability to elongate life, but we don't necessarily put a lot of emphasis on quality of life. And I'm like, wow that's got to change, but how do we do that? And, um, you know, I think we as body workers in general have a unique position to be able to create that quality more than anybody else. Um, so then, you know, and trying to understand how to bring that about is what really inspired me to start looking into anatomy more, more deeply. It's one thing to understand it's a technique, but it doesn't do you any good if you don't know how to apply it. So applying it to the human body or to real anatomy is really what the inspiration was. And being able to work with Gil Headley for years and, and go to his dissection classes, I finally said, I just wish I could do it on a daily basis. 
and finally the opportunity presented itself and and here I am six years later. Hmm. So what was the process in opening the clinic? Like how how did that come to pass? Well, it was a it was a dream for a long time but I couldn't figure out how to do it on my own and then a friend of mine um finally was saying, What's your roadblock? And I said, Money. <laughs> I don't have money. I can't I don't I can't bankroll this thing and so she said, Well if money wasn't an issue, what would you do? So we started her and I kinda of, she was kind of a um, part of that whole process and uh, she helped um, get it started and we got the financial backing and and um, and then as far as the rules and regulations um, I finally just said I called a funeral home here in town I said what does it take to be able to possess a dead body <laughs> they said somebody has to die <laughs> and you can't do it <laughs> so um you know, I just started from there and got my business license, and I actually made it way harder than it needed to be because I thought, surely this can't just—we can't just open a, a lab and start doing this. But um, it's not quite as hard as I thought it was going to be. But you know, there is there is some uh, work that has to go into it. But that's about it. And so, what are some of the demographics of the people who come learn from you? We across a wide variety. We have every everybody from the professionals like doctors, medical doctors, um, uh, chiropractors, massage therapists, Pilates, yoga, and then my, one of my favorites, dear, near and dear to my heart, are the high school students, uh, the biology classes, because when they come in, I'm able to present the human body in a more alternative-minded uh, fashion and my favorite thing to them is that um, you are the architect of your body you get to decide what you're going to look like at the end of your life what you do what you eat how you feel the type of relationships all of this determines how you look at the end of your life and that's what we'll be looking at it out on the table and they it just blows their mind to think that that they are what creates that internal environment within their own body can you give some specific examples of the, the the changes you notice from one person to the other in terms of how they treat their bodies or the environment their bodies exist in? Well, the the most uh, telling sign is is um, drugs, and I, I don't want to mention uh, certain drugs in particular. <laughs> but if I were to uh, kind of give a hint to the statin <laughs> range. Um, Statins really make that one of the side effects of statin drugs is it says it causes muscle soreness. But what we've seen in the cadaver is it actually causes fat to be within the muscle fibers and the muscle becomes fragile and tears very easily. So the type of drugs that you take, so it changes the, the, the muscle tissue. We've had a vegetarian in there. You know, one of the great things about our lab is that we, we can have people donate directly to us. So we get a lot of health history. We get lifestyle we get the types of things that they ate. This one um, teacher we had in the lab was a um, vegetarian, and looking at his intestine versus, versus somebody 84 or even younger than him was phenomenal. He had the best-looking intestines I, I've ever come across. Hmm. So we can see, you know, if they had a, a habitual pattern of use, that shows up in, in a... Uh, asymmetry within the body or certain the body will adapt to those demands 
one lady we had had severe scoliosis and she had created a fascial band from her scapula all the way over to the thoracic vertebrae that wasn't there in anybody else. And when you come up under it and try and pull on it, it was so tough and tight. It was trying to, to stabilize that convex curve in that uh, scoliotic pattern. And um, that was pretty amazing. So, so looking at individual without the knowledge of what they did is one thing you can make up stories but when we get people in there where we actually know what their lifestyle was it tells us a whole nother story because we can see what happened one lady was a uh, was 92 years old she was a telephone operator and she had this massive right shoulder but back in the day it was plug in pull out plug in pull out and so you could see it in the development of her shoulder Plus, she was a golfer, so it was the same, you know, kind of muscular recruitment, if you will. Witnessing that structural adaptation must be fascinating. I'm curious about the vegetarian, uh, the gut. I mean, have you, you, I've of course, probably seen multiple vegetarian uh, cadavers. Is is it common? Is it is it is it a common theme to notice a a, a more healthy gut with vegetarians? Well. You know, we haven't, I haven't had very much experience in absolute, actually having that data in front of me to be able to say, hey, otherwise we were just guessing. Now, when we have this health history in hand and they come in, we can say, absolutely, I bet this is why we're seeing this. It's because of, you know, their job in life or their um, lifestyle. So how rare is it for anatomy clinics to use cadavers? I have to admit that it, the first time I heard of it, I was a little shocked. I was like, oh, that's not a very common thing. But I'm curious how rare it actually is. I think it's very rare. I mean, most anatomy um, cadaver labs are associated with the college or university and a medical program. But when I was looking to be able to study, the only thing that I could find to be able to actually see a cadaver lab was um, Gil Headley. And he was still was going through the university programs in order to do all of that. So to start up your own lab was very unusual. And I applied to become a 501c3 right away. And we were looking, the attorney kept saying, we need a business model. So we kept looking for a business model and there really wasn't one we could find. Um, so he said, well, I doubt if you're going to be able to get this on the first try, but we actually did. We, uh, get approved on our first try in so but it is very uh, unusual hmm. and why do you use cadavers I, I assume it's simpler to not well yeah there's <laughs> there's the there's the gross anatomy factor of that of course you know when using cadavers but um i'm a there's three ways that people learn they're audio visual and kinesthetic learner i'm a massage therapist obviously my Bent is so, towards kinesthetic learning. Um, it's hard to learn real anatomy if you can't ever touch real anatomy. So transferring from a 2D medium into a 3D medium was always kind of a mental gymnastics game I had to play. Being able to touch a cadaver and then go in and touch somebody in my clinic just um, changed me dramatically because I had a confidence and an assuredness in my hands that I never had before and I don't think I would have without being able to layer that body apart. So being able to touch is a is a, an amazing thing, especially in the field that we're in. 
Um, you can you learn visually, but it's never going to give you that feeling of of lifting one t tissue off the other, what it feels like to separate fascia or scar tissue or separate one muscle from the next. What's the most surprising thing massage therapists tend to find when they come and first touch a cadaver? I think that everybody, what the feedback that we get is always in how thick muscles are or vice versa, how thin they are. They they, they have an idea of what it should be like, and they're blown away by the reality of what it actually looks like. So being able to see everything in situ, how one area relates to the other, and then um, the, the actual size of that muscle or, or its relationship to another one, how close they really are, how difficult it is to separate one muscle from the other, but yet how important it is too when you see the, the direction of fibers and how they're going into these different <clears throat> directions and that they need to glide across one another. I think it drives it home how important it is um, what we do actually. I, I was trying to think of an analogy or a metaphor that would describe the difference from how massage therapists usually relate to muscles and anatomy. And the one that occurred to me is if if you think of the anatomy book as like a picture, like we've seen, and you relate it to music, you see, well, we've seen a picture of a violin, like a person you know, playing a violin, and you've listened to the music on your CD, but going to a symphony where you actually get to experience and watch it take place, it has a totally different, there's a totally different experience between just listening in your bedroom or seeing someone do it versus actually being in the presence. Does that translate? Is that, is that a, is a good metaphor? Perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Yes, because it is that way. And even when we work on our clients and we touch them, it's just not, not the same feeling as actually being able to know and have that confidence of what it is you're actually accomplishing in that massage treatment or stretch or Pilates or however it is. In your clinic, you call cadavers teachers. I'm curious why you've chosen that term. Aren't you the teacher? <laughs> Not in that case, because those guys are teaching me. So when we started our donor program, that's one of the things I, I said to them right off the bat. I said, when you come into our lab, you're going to be the teacher because what your body, ha what you have done with your body throughout these years is going to teach us how that translates in our, in our life. And, and um, so it feels to me like I'm just a tour guide. I'm just a, somebody in there kind of pointing out landmarks, telling people where it is, but the real lesson is, is with um, that gift donor. And now that you're getting those donors, is that where you're starting to get more information about the lifestyle, about about what has, has gone on with that body? Yes, that's correct. Whenever anybody donates directly to us, we ask for lifestyle and health history so we can have an understanding of their drug history if they, if they did have one so we can see how that manifests in the body. Um, just mainly the types of things they've done throughout their life so we can kind of have an understanding why, why this uh, side is more developed than the other side or, you know, whatever we can, whatever we find, there's lots of different variations. So. Hmm. And it sounds like, so that's more of a newer 
development for you guys. So where did you get bodies before then? Well, that's, we, we started the donor program almost immediately because um, the university programs around have always been the ones that supply the uh, gift donors, the donor gifts. And they are starting to have kind of a shortage and so I went through an organization called Science Care. Well, Science Care charged four times as much as the donor program. So it was kind of like one of those, well, we're not going to be able to afford this. What are we going to do? And a friend of mine's mom was getting ready to pass away. And she said, can you take a direct donation? And I said, well, yeah. Well, oh, wait, I don't know. Maybe. Let me check. <laughs> and so it took me about two weeks and we got the answer and we were able to do it. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is perfect. So um, I don't have any great story except it kind of fell in my lap and we ran with it. So we don't get a lot of direct donors right now. We probably get three or four a year, um, but that's kind of the direction that we're going is to make sure that we get the, this information because it became invaluable to our studies, being able to understand. And, you know, as massage therapist, we tend to focus on the back and, and some of the extremities because clients, that's where they want the focus. That's where they typically ask for body work. A lot of people want you know, neck, back, and shoulders. Uh, and it's where massage therapists know the most anatomy. I'm curious if there's another region of the body, like the abdomen, uh, where you can talk a little bit about the structures and how they work together. And uh, seeing as how you work with bodies, you've, you know more about the whole body than, uh, than most people I know. Well, you, you, you just went on to my, one of my most favorite topics there <laughs> because I, I love um, working with the abdomen. I, I love working with our core uh, because I think it's one of the most misunderstood areas as far as its influence on us. So take the diaphragm, 360 degrees, divides the thoracic cavity and the abdominal cavity. But more importantly, it suspends all of those organs in our abdomen. You have the right and left uh, phrenocolic ligaments that suspend the colon. You have the right and left triangular ligaments, the coronary ligament, or the liver. So they have all of these things that are suspended from the diaphragm. Well, the diaphragm is around the ribs. When I, as a massage therapist, begin to work on the rib area, I'm influencing the diaphragm. If I influence the diaphragm, I therefore influence all of these tissues that are suspended from the diaphragm. And as I increase movement through that abdominal area, through tight loosening up those muscles so they can move better, I'm also increasing peristalsis in the um, colon. I'm increasing uh, the ability of the liver to flush uh, so everything is connected. I mean, we hear that all the time, but I don't think it really impresses you until you actually see it in the cadaver and you see that there are no spaces. There are no empty spaces. There are no holes. There are no um, pockets waiting to be filled by something. Everything touches something else, and it's all in harmony as we breathe and as we move until it's not. And that's where we come in, is we try to recreate, as a body worker, I'm going to try and recreate that harmony of movement and fluidity throughout all of those tissues. If I can't take a deep breath, I'm going to influence 
the muscles in the rib cage and the abdomen, but I'm also going to change the ability of the organs to do their job. So the liver has a mechanical function in that it filters blood. How does that filter work? There's not a pump like the heart. The filter works in the suspension. You have a forward suspensory ligament. You have a posterior suspensory ligament. They're on opposite sides of the diaphragm. So when the hemispheres of the diaphragm move and descend, it rings that liver. And that's how you get the flush. So movement we think of as I'm getting from point A to point B. But more importantly, what I've seen is that importance in movement for our constitution, for our ability for the liver to function, for um, our reproductive organs. I mean, there's an awful lot of influence um, we have as far as moving that abdominal cavity around. It sounds like you said that the liver doesn't have a motor like the heart, but in a sense, the breath is the motor. That's right. The breathing apparatus is the mechanical motor that drives the flushing and the filtering of the liver. That's right. So when when it's impaired, when you don't have a full diaphragmatic breath, it limits the uh, the ability of the liver to do its job. And what's going to inhibit full diaphragmatic breathing? For instance, I seventy percent of my uh, practice is built on motor vehicle accidents. Seatbelt comes from what? One shoulder to the opposite hip. And so it's coming right across that diaphragm. And that's where I saw an awful lot of, of trouble. Is not, People don't think about the diaphragm being injured in a motor vehicle accident. But if you have a seatbelt on, chances are there's some kind of lesion in there. So you've got to restore proper function there as well. And what's the technique you use to, to try and help uh, a, a diaphragm that's been through a car accident? Um, my primary approach is probably with uh, myofascial release, but I'm also trained in visceral manipulation, so I use that an awful lot. My foundation is neuromuscular therapy, so I always go back to if it moves, kill it. <laughs> you know, let's beat it out of them somehow. <laughs> Not really, but kind of, you know. <laughs> so I uh, I love the NMT stuff, but uh, probably myofascial is my biggest um, asset there. So are there any other parts of the body that, people might find surprising in terms of how they're connected or how they work in a way that that maybe only seeing the body as a whole shows us? <laughs> only all of it. <laughs> I think that, I, I don't know, I guess I'm prejudiced, but um, and maybe I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box, so I needed all of that visual stimulation. But, you know, just being able to see some of the things like with Tom Myers and the anatomy trains and his ideas around that, how that plays out in the human body is phenomenal. Um, it, ha- having, having this um, visual of, of how the body can stay stable but yet move. You know, when you see the tensegrity of every little minute piece of it, probably the, the biggest surprise of all of them um, would be the paraspinal group and how thick that, that is and how, um, how deep it is in that lumbar spine. You know, we think of paraspinal group being really thin but when you get down into that lumbar spine it's it's uh, at least two knuckles deep hmm. you mean before you hit the ribs before but if you're getting the lumbar oh from the, lumbar. the spinous, from the spinous process to transverse mm. probably two, two knuckles 
deep and and people are always astounded at how how much tissue is actually down there in that lumbar region switching gears a little bit what's the best thing that has come out of this project for you the best thing is i'm a really good therapist honestly i mean i I can go to the lab anytime I want to when I get stuck in my clinic or if I'm scratching my head about a client, I can always go over to the lab and um, be able to, to get in there and kind of research on my own. But um, I, I love watching people's, the light come on. I like watching their faces light up when they actually have that aha, aha moment and they're able to um, understand something they couldn't understand before. It thrills me to no end. I mm. love sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I've been asking this question of most of my guests. It's around the topic of failure. And yeah. as massage therapists, we, we often like to focus on the things we do good and, uh, and and not necessarily examine the opportunity to learn from what's what didn't quite go right. So do you have a favorite or a most memorable failure that's specific to a client? Well, I have a lot of them, but we won't go there. <laughs> but um, yes, I do. I, you know, I think my biggest failure is not listening enough to the, the person and assuming that uh, as soon as they tell me something that I've already got my plan formulated on how I'm going to approach them or how I'm going to treat them. And I'm humbled every single time I go into a room like that. So I really have tried to learn that lesson over time to not assume that I know better what's going on in their body or to assume that from what they, um, you know, if I haven't listened to them wholly, I don't, I don't totally know the whole picture because we're not treating the person, we're treating a history. And that's the thing I love about the lab is it's, it's, actually given me the opportunity to understand history and how that manifests and how an accident you can take a history and and put it in an accident in the other person's history and put them in the accident and you're going to come out with a, a complete different set of injuries at the end of the day because our history is what sets us up for that injury and so you know being able to listen is my biggest thing but i do have one case where she was um had sciatica and I did a nerve glide on the very first time I treated her and everything went well. The second time I treated her, not so much. Third time, not so much. Fourth time, I was starting to pull my hair out because I thought it worked the first time. Why won't it work again? One of my favorite um, things is to go into the lab and, and start looking around. So I was in there on a Saturday and I was working on the glutes and I saw for the first time, a split sciatic nerve. I'd never seen a split sciatic nerve in a cadaver before. I saw my first split sciatic nerve. And what I realized on that Saturday was that if you have a split sciatic nerve, that tibial and peroneal branch will glide independently of one another. So when I went back in, I tipped her foot, just inverted it slightly, did the nerve glide again, and bingo, there it was. And so if you could go back and do something different or handle that situation differently, what would, what would you do? No, I don't, I'm, I'm not the type of person that ever drives my car looking in the rearview mirror. I'm always looking out the windshield. So that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, I don't have a whole lot of regrets because I think to be able to get to where I am today, I had to do everything that I did. 
um, I would go back and tell that young Bonnie, <laughs> have a little patience, just keep plugging along. Don't, don't freak out because at the end of the day, I'm in a position right now that um, I never thought I would be in and I'm happier than I ever could be. You know, there's Mark Twain said, there's two days in our lives. Um, there's two important days in our lives. One is the day we're born. And the second one is the day we realize why. And so my day of realizing why has come and I'm pretty happy. Well, we should all be so lucky. <laughs> yes, we all should. You kind of jumped my next question, which was actually, I wanted to know if you had a favorite quote about bodywork. I suppose your quote was about your life and how it has yeah. has come to this point. Do you have a favorite quote about bodywork that you use? Um, yeah, it's actually a John Zahurik quote. And it says, what the hands have learned, the mind cannot forget. And so that's one of my favorites. Because um, the more I'm in the, the lab, the more confident I get with my hands and, and understanding and treatment of, of the body. And if people are interested in learning more about you, your work, and the Institute for Anatomical Research, how can they learn more? How can they follow you? Well, we, you know, we're on Facebook, and, but we also have a website. It's called anatomicalresearch.org. And um, I think that's about it. We do have a live broadcast on, on Wednesday nights with our uh, director of education, Jim Fulciani. He, he goes into the lab every Wednesday. So, you know, what we're, we're trying to do is, is not only create an affordable place for people to learn because one of my uh, dreams for the lab was to have education available for everybody not just those that had money and so we really keep our prices down low and the, the other thing is we're trying to figure out how to be able to offer it to people that can't get into the lab specifically because of um, you know there's formaldehyde we know that that's not a good thing to be around on and there's a lot of people that are sensitive to that. So we're starting to come up with some more live feeds from the lab that will uh, give people a picture. We can't show the teachers themselves right now, but um, we'll, we'll get to that, um, that stage soon. Cool. So is it, you said Wednesday nights that you're doing kind of a live broadcast of either dissection or working with the, the cadaver? Well, He's, he's doing a live broadcast at the lab working with, we have some other things that are um, 3D, like he, he put together a skeleton that uh, has Velcroed on muscles. We have some uh, anatomy in clay. Uh, we can't broadcast the, the uh, cadavers themselves because that's just not something that <laughs> is okay to do yet. Uh, but we do, we will have some clips, and there are some some available on uh, Joe Muscolino's site. Actually, he did some video clips, and so they're available through his website. Awesome. Well, okay. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm curious to learn more about the body. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna check out your site and. And maybe drop in on this uh, this Wednesday thing and, and, and see what you guys are doing. Wednesday nights at 6.30. All right. Very good, Bonnie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, 
please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well.